When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, everybody? I am here with my main man. He is back on the show. This is Straight to the Bank, and I am joined, of course, if you know, you know, Jordan Vanek from the 33rd team is here today, and we're going to talk all things in the NFL. But first, before we do get started, Jordan, you have a big weekend ahead of you. I'm not going to get into the details too much because I don't really know what happened, and I do want to get into it from both angles. You won a big ticket on DraftKings just, I believe it was last weekend. Feel free to correct me when I introduce you. But you do have a big weekend ahead of you where you have a $4,400 ticket to a contest on DraftKings for the NFL. How are you doing, Jordan? And more importantly, how do you handle the pressure of such a big moment in your life to make a mass amount of money this weekend on DraftKings in DFS. But you are, of course, the head of DFS over at the 33rd team, so this should be no problem for you. But how are you doing, my friend? I am doing well. It's uh, It was a great weekend. Um, on Friday, I actually almost hit for the ticket because I played that uh, BYU-Cincinnati game, loaded up on it. In the three games late, the way the contest works, it's a $75 entry. And there's like 67 to 70 people in the contest. First place is the only person that gets paid and they get paid in a ticket to another contest. I thought the ticket was going to be for that upcoming Sunday. I thought it was going to be a contest where it was like 500 or 250 people. I think it was where first place is 200K. But instead, it's a $4,444 ticket to a millionaire type contest where there's 786 people seconds 200k thirds 150 fourths 100 trust me the pressure it's not so much that the pressure's there it's that i need to make sure i play the way that i would play any contest that's a tournament because i've been waiting for this type of opportunity to feel like i'm playing in the big boy leagues with the high stakes guys because it's funny it's not hard, easier to, well, it's harder to cash in these contests, but it's easier to win because you're not going up against thousands and thousands of people. So 786 people is something that I've been working to beat. And I believe I've won contests with 20,000 people. I've come in second in contests with 120,000 people. I am capable of winning this one and I am just looking forward to it, looking forward to the battle. And this week, starting that grind to, you know, finalize my lineup and win some money exactly and that's how we have you here because nothing more from a guest could i have on the line than a million dollars wow jordan million dollars coming your way this weekend everyone if you 
do if you don't follow Jordan Vanek right now, make sure you follow him at Jordan Vanek DFS on Twitter and just wish him good luck. Wish him good <laughs> luck because he has a big weekend ahead of him. But this is the reason why I wanted to have you on the show. I booked you what two weeks ago now, and you didn't even have this ticket. Now you got it. Even more incentive to give the people the right information to play in a contest like this. It's not a large field tournament. I think you know. Would you consider it a small field? You know, anything under a thousand, probably considered small field. Medium is usually in the thousand to five thousand range. Look at me just showcasing this DFS knowledge. I mean, I don't (laughs) even know where it comes from. But more importantly, we want to kind of go over not just the games themselves, but the teams and some of the trends we're seeing throughout the NFL. You know, you and I talked throughout the throughout the offseason about projections and when do you throw out old data and start applying new data and you told me you know right around four weeks five weeks and when you can start to really look at the trends we're seeing in the nfl and say okay i can believe in this going forward and start to say this is something that i can actually take with me and make in my projections and build out for all of my fantasy lineups but i do want to start with thursday night football and we're not going to touch on the game even though last time i had you on you absolutely nailed the game script you had the Lions winning. You had them winning narrowly. You thought they would get to Mahomes. And what do you know? It was kind of Canarius Tony's fault. But you nailed the game script. But I do want to ask you about two teams, the Bears and Commanders, playing on Thursday. We do have the Commanders favored by six points. We know the Bears' defense is god-awful. But let's start with the Commanders because, unfortunately for fantasy people, Jahan Dodson, Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, all these guys are getting targets, but target consolidation is not really a thing in Washington right now. Sam Howell is getting a lot of volume, but he's really spreading it around. And so I do have some concerns about these guys because they're highly drafted, especially in Dynasty. People really want them on their teams, but it's kind of operating like a Kansas City Chiefs offense, except without Patrick Mahomes. And I think that's kind of the fear that a lot of people had, a lot of spreading the ball around, a lot of uncertainty around the target shares. And I think we're still seeing that week to week. We can't even feel confident that Terry McLaurin's going to get six targets in a game, not to mention getting eight or nine, like we were kind of expecting him to be this alpha in this high-flying Eric Bieniemy offense. But Jordan, let's start with the commanders. And how do you feel about this offense right now, knowing that Sam Howell is getting sacked left and right, leading the NFL with 19 sacks? Although, to be fair, Daniel Jones is definitely on his heels after Monday night football. But how are you feeling about the commanders going forward in this offense? So Eric, the enemy is, again, you are right. He is running a spread, like spread the ball around offense, not kind of give away what he where he's going with the football the, the biggest thing that actually concerns me is just like the A dot for John Dodson. Um, it hasn't been over 10 in any game this year from what I am looking at at the moment, according to uh, True Media. And when I was watching um, the games, actually, he the first week against the Arizona Cardinals, um, I watched Jalen Hyatt, not Jalen Hyatt, sorry, John Dodson running water, Terry McCorn running wide open down the sidelines. And you see how we'll see it. Like he's looking directly at it. It looks like that's the correct read that he's trying to make. And he turns and fires a curl route to Jahan Dotson. I'm looking and you saw Terry McLaurin's hand go up. Once he threw it to Dotson, you saw him hands go down. Like, come on, man. And it kind of feels that way every single week where he's missing the read. He's missing where the enemy is trying to get him to go with the football. And He's hesitating. It seems like he's not processing fast enough. And again, obviously, they're running similar offense to what Kansas City did. So him not being a fast processor is not really a big problem. He's a fifth round pick, man. He's he's playing well for his draft capital, but this is just not someone that they should be buying into. 
And as far as his sacks, I mean, he's been sacked on over 10% of his dropbacks in three out of the four weeks this season. The only team they didn't allow that to was Denver. That number was (laughs) 9.3. Denver still sacked him quite a bit in that game, which is just... It's it's just not it's not going well for him right now. I mean, his time to pass, if he holds the ball at all, he gets sacked. Yeah. Like, but I'll say this: his time to sack is pretty high. Like, there he's holding the ball when he's getting sacked. It's not it's not the way Daniel Jones is getting hit. Daniel Jones is getting hit immediately. And these offensive lines, man. I when when we get to the Texans, I'll, I'll go on a go on a little rant with that. But as far as the Commanders in this game against Chicago, lean on your run game. Lean on yeah. Brian Robinson, lean on Antonio Gibson. This Bears run defense is bad. Once you get that going, then you could take some shots down the field and hopefully give Howell enough time to process and understand, hey, Dotson, McLaurin, these are the guys that are getting open down the field. I do want to talk about the Bears a little bit because everyone, Jordan, gets on me for my Justin Fields hate. I've been called a Justin Fields hater since last season. Oh, Justin Fields, is you're a hater. You don't believe in him. He's going to be great for fantasy. People said MVP, Jordan. They said MVP at 25 to 1. And maybe he could still be MVP, but the Bears are 0-4. They blew a huge game, a momentum swinging game where Justin Fields was actually good. And still, the Bears found a way to blow it. Sean Payton and that offense still have some life, even though the defense is historically bad. The worst DVOA in history through four weeks, even worse, Jordan, than the 0-16 Detroit Lions from 2008. That says a lot, just to be that bad and to still win a game is absolutely insane. says a lot about the Bears. But going into this game against the Commanders, two things. Can they deal with the pass rush from the Commanders? Because I don't believe they can. And more importantly, can Fields continue his upward trajectory in this game? Because, you know, we've seen some good things from DJ Moore. We've seen some bad things. We've seen some garbage time. And we've seen him disappearing at times, not to the fault of him, mostly to the fault of the offense and Justin Fields. Obviously, this has been a heavily criticized offense, quarterback, scheme, coaching staff, pretty much from the start of the season. But is there any hope for them to turn around in this game? And kind of what do you expect from the Bears going forward? So from uh, the Bears perspective, for starters, I was into Justin Fields stacks this past weekend. That was something that I wrote up and nice. was able to like Cole Komet, DJ Moore. Um, but I also liked Khalil Herbert a lot. I would just like to say that uh, everybody I was calling for Roshan, Khalil Herbert in a game that was competitive for once. Yep. 79% of the snaps, Roshan Johnson, 21%. Opportunities, which is targets plus rushes, 23 to 6. So, Anybody thinks that Roshan's coming for Cleo Herbert's job, that's not the case. That was just the case when they were losing 41 to 10, uh, 38 to 20, and Roshan took all the snaps in the end. And then also they were getting beat pretty bad against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers towards the end of yes, the game. They were but very badly. Um, in the first half, I remember finding a stat that Cleo Herbert had like 65% of the work. And I was like, okay, so he's the main back. Obviously, he proved to be. But for Justin Fields, I. And with you on just this guy not working right now. I mean, he's yeah. one of these slower processors in football. Mm-hmm. Um, his time to pass is over three seconds in majority of scenarios. So it's like Insane. it's a line. Well, it's also him holding the ball. Yeah. He doesn't throw the ball unless he sees you wide open. That's a problem. You got to throw in tight windows occasionally. You got to read the coverage and find the guy that's open uh, during the first two weeks of the season or first three weeks of the season. There are plays where guys are open and he's just not even seeing it. 
and <laughs> I don't know what the case is. The offensive scheme doesn't fit him at all. It's kind of a really, really bad situation still. I don't care that he played well. It does not matter to me. But for fantasy, um, one thing that I always say, or me and Josh Larkey just talked about this, rushing quarterbacks give you floor. Yes. Even with field was bad, 16, 16, 12, obviously really bad performances. His best game, he threw for 355. He barely ran 25 yards rushing. Mm-hmm. So f- think of rushing quarterbacks as floor people, not ceiling people, especially in DFS. You need them to have opportunity to pass in this game against the um, Washington Commanders. I don't see it. I yeah. think DJ Moore can beat Emmanuel Forbes. I don't know if... Uh, you're going to see a lot of Justin Fields targeting him there. But as far as this defensive line, I this is a nightmare matchup for this offense line. These four players are going to get to Fields early and often, and all of them run a 4-4, four, 4-5. Four, four, yes. <laughs> They're going to be able to catch him. So I, I think this is a game where Justin Fields reverts back to where you saw in weeks one to three. And it's just a product of, oh, he played the Denver Broncos. Oh, another guy that's been sacked on 10% of his dropbacks every week so far this season. Yeah, I mean, you know, you look at the commanders and what they've done um, and their defensive line. It's not like facing Denver, right? It's not like facing where Denver, honestly, you look at that game. They did a phenomenal job keeping fields in the pocket. And to be fair, he had success throwing the football. But their number one job was keep him in the pocket and we'll have a shot to win. And what do you know? The game's on the line. And he did break away one big run. But outside of that, they kept him in the pocket. And that's without the speed on the edge and on the outside that the commanders do have. And you talk about Emmanuel Forbes. And we may get into him when we talk about the Eagles and A.J. Brown. And, you know, you may go on a bit of a rant about that. But Forbes will at least stick with D.J. Moore to the point where he won't look open, even though he's only 170 pounds. And D.J. Moore could easily body him in the open field like A.J. Brown did. It's not going to look open to Fields, and that will be problems for Justin Fields. I think the Command can have a decent game here, but I'm with you. I think the Commanders could actually steamroll the Bears because you look at what the Bears have done this season. They've been god-awful. They're 0-4 for a reason. They have the top two picks in the NFL draft, kind of just because they're lucky. But overall, you look at Fields long-term. Is he the answer for this team? We don't know. Should he be traded? I don't know. Are they going to get Caleb Williams? I don't know, man. The Bears are just in a terrible spot where... We thought they did everything to get better, and it turns out was all for nothing because what they're doing right now, whether it's coaching, whether it's fields, whether it's the defense, there's a lot of blame to go around, and it becomes on multiple fronts. So you can't yep. just look at one player, one coach, one anything. Everyone has to be accountable for the situation, and that's part of the reason why I was out on fields in the first place. Like, yeah, they made his job a little bit easier in theory. Obviously, it's even worse than I projected because I was still in on fields. I was still like, for fantasy, he can be okay. But now you look at the situation, he's probably not the long-term answer at quarterback, not necessarily because he's not talented, but because he has not produced winning football for this franchise, and that's not going to get you a contract extension. But I do want to talk about another quarterback from the same draft class. We're getting into the Jaguars and Bills, Jordan. This game looks like it's in London as well, 930 start. So let's talk about the Jaguars. Trevor Lawrence, number one overall pick. In my opinion... He's stunk it up so far this season. Ever since that Chiefs game, he's been awful. But, you know, you look at what they've done. They lost to Houston, which no one expected. But I think now we're kind of changing our tune on the Houston Texans. You look at the Buffalo Bills. They just destroyed your Miami Dolphins. They are a phenomenal team. I know you weren't in on the Bills. You came on this podcast. You said, 
I don't know about the Bills. And I was kind of with you in terms of the passing weapons. It's literally been all Stefan Diggs and the odd Gabe Davis touchdown. But what are your thoughts right now on Calvin Ridley, Christian Kirk, Evan Ingram, Zay Jones, what should be a pretty potent offense for the Jaguars? It has struggled a little bit for the past few weeks. And your thoughts on Trevor Lawrence going forward? So the offensive line is the biggest thing that they're not not having. And Doug Peterson's offense isn't hasn't really changed. Um, you need to adapt in today's NFL. And you see that with the Rams, the Dolphins, the 49ers, um, these schemes that are running these crazy motions and like even things as simple as motioning the running back from shotgun, just like two shuffles. And it's pulling the linebacker just enough to create a different type of window for your guy. Um, the, the Jaguars offense to me is not uh, creative right now. And then also the drops are there, the dropsies. I don't know what the case yep. is right now, but Calvin and, uh, Kirk and amongst the other players on the team, they're just not having sure handed guys. And it's kind of hesitating Trevor Lawrence here and there, which is bad. But in this game, I think this is a game where the Jaguars actually find a way to win. And the reason why wow, is okay. because you have the Bills coming off a huge win against Buffalo or Miami. Big, mm-hmm. big, big win. You have the Jaguars coming off a win in London last weekend with Atlanta. This is the first team that I've ever know, or thought of that stayed in London for the week. Mm-hmm. Completely adjusted to the time zone. Completely adjusted to just everything going on over there. And being able to just be away from everything and focused on the next game in front of them from 11 a.m., 12, whatever. So they've just been focused on the Bills since like playing their game they've got a jump start on it they're already there like for me i kind of think those factors actually make a difference um the bills again bills can beat them obviously i'm not saying that they're not like capable of doing it but i think this is a trap game where we see like the jaguars pass rush needs to show up that's the biggest thing that i think is here they have the talent at the edge to get there and the bills offense line is not very good so Pass rush is there. You have Tyson Campbell, who will be able to cover digs um, to an extent. He's played unbelievable football this entire season so far. And then Trevor Lawrence and company, like the Bills are a team you can get going against. They just lost Tredavious White. They don't have yes. him again. They don't have Tremaine Edmonds. Like, oh, obviously, he's with the Bears now. Like, the Bills defense is beatable. They beat up on the commanders. The Dolphins didn't have their offense line, and it was really bad <laughs> when Teron Armstead went down as well. Like, I think that the Jaguars can beat them down the field and can get their run game going, which will help everything kind of transpire. This is a game where I expect it to be closer than what the five and a half point spread is. Yeah, I mean, you know, you look at the Bills and all the talent they have on offense. It's really just Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs right now, a little bit of James Cook sprinkled in. And the running game has been okay. I think the bigger concern for a lot of fantasy people really is Travis Etienne because Tank Bigsby keeps taking all of his goal line carries and he's really just been a home run hitter or a between-the-20s grinder, and that's been a bit of a problem if you do have ETN. But, I mean, I think a lot of us who were paying attention to the situation kind of saw this happening. This wasn't something that's new. Like, right now, it's something that we saw happen in preseason. We saw it kind of play out, and we saw the concerns even last year with Trevor... with Travis Etienne on the goal line. And so, look at me talking about Trevor Etienne, Florida's finest. Just love it. Super excited for that. Going forward, sophomore, just doing phenomenal things at Florida. The only good thing that Florida has right now, outside of, of course, your Miami Dolphins. But going back to the Buffalo Bills, is there anybody on this offense that we care about beyond Stefan Diggs? Whether it's for fantasy, whether it's for DFS, 
Gabe Davis's target share just isn't there right now. We all wanted Dalton Kincaid to be a thing. And in reality, that man, that myth, that legend is Sammy Ballgame, Sam Laporta, tight end one, not even close in the rookie class right now. And then, of course, you have some auxiliary pieces, Deontay Hardy. I was really big on the other slot receiver they, that they have, um, Khalil Shakur, right out of Boise State. Big fan of Khalil Shakur. But he hasn't done anything either. It's really just Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, and whatever they get out of the running game, which has been good so far in terms of a collective. But I think they can take advantage of this Jaguars defense. I don't think it's as good as people kind of projected it being. It's had its moments. It was great against Kansas City. It wasn't so great against the Texans, though. And so I think there is definitely going to be opportunities. But to your point, staying in London is huge. And I think what's even more annoying is that this is a home game for the Bills. What is that? How did the Bills get suckered into this being their home game when the Jaguars are like London's team and they yeah. stayed in London? Like, it's just so unfair to the Bills in that regard. I don't know if this game's going to be close, so I don't know if I'm with you there, but I do think that the Bills can definitely take advantage of a porous Jaguars defense. And you just yeah. look back at that Houston game and you're like, there's going to be plays to be made down the field for the Bills. It's just whether or not they can make them overall. But you know, that's kind of how I feel about the game. I don't think we need to touch on it much more than that because the Jaguars are just, they, they're they just jaguaring it up all year right. right now. You thought they'd be good and they're just not that good. No. Maybe they can turn it around. I personally believe it is Trevor Lawrence. You mentioned the drops. You know, I think Zay Jones has at least two or three drop touchdowns in the end zone. Some are difficult catches. Some are just drops. You talk about Ridley. He dropped a touchdown, I believe, last week or at least the week before he did for sure. So definitely a few different issues when you talk about the Jaguars. The yeah. Bills are back for now. But you, as you mentioned, you're not all the way back in on the Bills. But we do have to talk about your Miami Dolphins because they are 11-point favorites against the Giants. First of all, Jordan, is this point spread too wide? Because you, before we started the show, we're talking about the Dolphins' defensive line and why it's struggling right now. Yep. And so it's can they get after Daniel Jones? Because last week, I mean, Seattle just took it to them. Can your Dolphins right the ship against the Giants and cover this 11 number? If they can't, if, as long as Andrew Thomas is out, because Andrew Thomas could potentially come back. He's a huge piece to what they do on the offensive line. But regardless, if they can't get pressure here without Jalen Phillips, it's going to be a very big problem for me to buy into uh, the rest of the season for them. As far as the spread, I don't think this is too wide because this is we just saw the 49ers play the Giants on like a Thursday, maybe it was a Monday night yeah, or Thursday. Thursday night. Yeah, it's Thursday night game. And they just gashed them the entire time. There was just nothing they had an answer to. Miami's the same type of way. Wink Martindale is who he is. He's going to blitz. He's going to play cover zero. He's going to play cover one. Good luck. Good, good luck playing the track meet in uh, yeah. Miami. Good luck defending Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle the way that you need to. Um, Connor Williams would be a huge piece to come back for Miami's offense line. Like I said, they were having some problems that Bills game. This is a spot where he needs to come back because Liam Etchenberg is just not competent. I'm not worried about Toronto Armstead being out because they didn't have Toronto Armstead for the first two weeks of the season. And I was against New England and I was against um, the Chargers with Mack and Bosa. They blocked fine. So as long as Connor Williams is there starting at center and playing in this game, I believe that the Dolphins will have no problem scoring. And that run game is just lethal. And then on the flip side, yeah. like the, the Giants offense is just horrendous. Everybody blames the offensive line. I get it. They are really, really bad. When are we going to blame the GM and coaching for putting this together? Because okay. the Texans, they are missing 
their entire offensive line. They have a rookie play caller, a rookie head or a rookie quarterback. Who are their weapons? Nico Collins and Tank Dell. I said that before the year and use the term weapons for those yeah. two players. Not a single one of us would have been like, what are you talking about? They just neutralized TJ Watt with mm-hmm. that offensive line. How did they do it? Well, screen game. That was a big thing. Quick passes. Cool. But they also took shots down the field when they needed to. And the way they took shots was bringing three tight ends in, two tight ends in, and chipping TJ Watt multiple times before he got to the tackle. Like, it was one of those things where TJ Watt had no way of actually playing as a pass rusher because they just neutralized him. So for this Giants team, I get it. The offensive line's bad. There's nothing about their film that tells me that they're good. But my God, are we ever going to actually blame the coaching like of what they have, the GM, for putting the depth pieces that he put together? How many years in a row are we going to say the Giants offense line is the problem before we say it's Daniel Jones? Like, that's they fair. just paid this man $46, $48 million to do what? what? Yeah. So, so the offense line needs to be fixed. We're already paid our quarterback, so we're going to do it through the draft, which this GM's best pick was Evan Neal. Evan Neal's well, the one that threw Darren Waller into the blocker and then turned and was blocking his own guy. I liked Evan Neal coming out out of Alabama. It doesn't seem like the coaching's there. It doesn't seem like the GM is picking guys that are the right picks. And it's just becoming more of an excuse every single week. But it's just, I don't I don't buy into this. Yeah, I mean, you look at Dayball and getting mad at Jones on the sidelines, and I'm sure there's some merit to that. You know, a lot of people talk about Dayball as like one of the smartest people in football. And, you know, you talk about the Bills, right? And there's kind of early struggles on offense, especially during the season and even into last year. It was literally just people saying, you just can't replace a a mind like Brian Dayball, right? You just can't replace that. No matter how many guys you try and bring in, you can't replace that. But even Brian Dayball maybe can't fix Daniel Jones. And I think that's where, you know, you can't blame Dayball yet because what he did with Jones last year was simply like unthinkable. With what he did with Daniel Jones, people were so shocked, so surprised. I mean, he obviously won coach of the year and deservedly so. And then you see him getting mad at Jones on the sidelines and you're like, well, it has to be Jones's fault to some degree because there's no way Dayball's there's no way Dayball has made Daniel Jones Whoa. worse because he already made Daniel Jones better, right? Yeah. You know, we've talked about on this show the play calling, and it's probably not Dayball calling plays, even though I think he should be calling plays at this point. Like He's, the Giants have nothing to lose. We saw it in the Arizona game. I don't know if you saw the clip. Yeah, he of, looks like he's calling plays. Yeah, in the Arizona game exactly. when they were down and but, they needed to win, it was like he was calling plays. But going forward. Is he calling plays? It doesn't seem like it. And it seems yeah. like that could be part of the reason why they're losing. It is bad play calling, bad decision making, bad offensive line, Ooh. terrible defense on top of that, which doesn't help. But I'm with you. I think that the Miami Dolphins can cover the spread pretty easily. Is there anything you want to add on that giant side? Because like the weapons, I don't even care about the weapons because they just have very little opportunity to score as fantasy points. The, the pick six was Daniel Jones. It wasn't the yes. O-line. It wasn't anybody Sarah else. Throw. Darren Waller was wide open. And the, the read is, a, the concept's called a high-low. So you basically, you snap, you turn, you look at that side of the field, and you see you're running, the inside guy's running a, basically a out on the back line of the end zone, and the in, outside guy's running a quick curl. And you basically stare at the corner, and it's like, are you coming up or are you dropping? Devin Witherspoon just stood there and 
Daniel Jones wind up the throw to the curl route instead of just Darren Waller in the back of the end zone. It's, yeah. he, he's not good. I, I'm tired of like, like last year, he can run. He's athletic. Riley Leonard is just as good as him. If not, damn. Like Dude's Riley fun. Leonard in college right now is just as good as what six year in the NFL Daniel Jones is. And Riley Leonard's probably going to cost, you know, 30 million less a year. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know how they get out of this besides maybe trading him to Atlanta. But as of right now, like it's it's a situation where they're going to continue to build this way. We're going to continue to talk about the Giants offense line being bad. And it's going to be a year and a year and a year. And it's going to be like, wait, let's get a new quarterback in there. And it's just going to yeah. go repeat the cycle because it's at the end of the day, they're never going to blame coaching Philly is coaching. Philly is great O-line talent. They have great players on their offense line, of course. But Jeff Stoutland is the probably one of the best coaches, offense line coaches in the entire NFL. That Eagles push play doesn't work for anybody else. It seems like some didn't of those didn't work plays for again, the Giants, right? They saying. tried it. Didn't they work. They tried it. Right? They tried it. There was a someone else tried it and didn't work. Like a lot of teams try that play. It doesn't work. It's a it's a Philly thing because Jeff Stoutland and Jason Kelsey has openly talked about it plenty. He's the best offensive line coach in the business. So that's where I'm at with that. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing more to take away from this game. You know, I think the only question for me with you is how are you feeling about Jalen Waddle going forward? Because he didn't have a great game last week. He's kind of started yeah. a little bit slower. Do you have any concerns about Waddle? And then we can move on to your Panthers versus the Lions this week. Um, Yeah, I'm not really concerned about Waddle because this is just kind of who he is. Like uh, last week was annoying because they didn't have the offensive line to block. His role is yeah. more down the field than anything else. Um, they scored 70 without him playing in the game. Insane. There's just kind of what like he's going to get. Well, the biggest problem is, is the run game's good now. So like yes. in order of pecking of like Tyreek Hill gets the ball a lot. Now the run game's going to get the ball more than Jalen Waddle on a totals basis. And it's going to mm. bump Jalen Waddle just down enough. I didn't think the run game was going to be as good as it is right now. But um, Jalen Waddle is someone that I'd probably project to get like six to 10 targets a game with the run game playing the way it is while Tyree kill handles like 14. Yeah. <laughs> like Tyree kill is going to get the most targets pretty much every single week, no matter what. And it's just going to be up to Jalen Waddle to make the most out of his six to eight targets that he gets in this game against the giants, the giants blitz a ton play, man, they press. So Jalen yeah. Waddle will be able to beat his man off line of scrimmage and make a play down the field. And it's going to be fun to see what they do with the Dory Jackson because he usually plays the slot in three wide receiver sets. Um, and if he goes into the slot, then Tyree kills one on one with a rookie. I don't know if that's going to be. I don't know if I want that matchup. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely going to be bad news for the Giants if that happens. But we do have to talk about your rookie quarterback, Bryce Young, because he is struggling right now. And the Panthers are openly welcoming a wide receiver. I mean, go figure. You trade your number one wide receiver to get this quarterback, and he has nothing left to play with. And it's a bit of a problem for your Panthers right now. You have been steadfast on the Jonathan Mingo hate, and I gave you a ton of shit for it. And what do you know? He's not that good. He can't separate. Well, go figure. You nailed it. So credit to you, because I did gloat a little bit after they drafted him, and he oh, was yeah. drafted so high. But you look at Jaden Reed, you look at Rasheed Rice, you look at Tank Dell, even Cedric Tillman might be better than Jonathan Mingo. We don't know. He doesn't play. But yeah. you look at all these guys, and Mingo was like one of the clear outliers. It's like QJ, JSN, and Mingo. And everyone else, day one, day two, has been phenomenal so far at wide receiver. You know, the Panthers, I mean, they're 0-4. Number two pick right now. Obviously, that's not their own. That's the Bears. The Lions riding high. 
But the guy I actually want to ask you about in this offense is Jamison Williams because he's going to be back, right? His suspension has been dropped down to four games. And I do think he's another guy that is sneaky to end up on Carolina. He's not a player Detroit desperately needs. He has a familiarity with Bryce Young, you know, during his Heisman campaign, right? How would you feel if your Panthers did trade for Jamison Williams to get him in the building with Bryce Young? I know that you'd prefer Jerry Judy, and we may talk about that a little bit later when we get to Denver. But Jamison Williams could be an option for you, again, just to stretch the field, open up things underneath, and can obviously beat man coverage because the dude is just oh so fast. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say I prefer Judy over him because Judy is okay. an interesting case study of like having to pay him right away. Uh, James yes. Williams would be someone that we wouldn't, which is huge from a salary cap perspective. I think it would cost more to get him over Jerry Judy. Um, and I think we would have to trade so, Brian eh? Burns. Yeah, I think Brian Burns would have to be a part of that deal. It would be really because I mean, the Lions gave up a lot to get him and they just haven't seen him. Um, but yeah, no, as far as the Panthers, like the situation, I would love JMO to be on our team. That would be very nice to have, uh, that, that ability to be able to put a player that can win down the field. Cause I knew Adam Thielen was our number one receiver coming into the, um, coming into the year. I was, I touted Adam Thielen as a fantasy asset, which is felt gross, but he's you did? every single week because he is a, our best wide receiver he is our smartest wide receiver he understands how to sit in zone he understands how to beat man um adam thielen's not athletic he's not the same guy he used to be obviously but he's sure-handed and he makes plays for us every single week um i'm frustrated with that uh pick of mims because i was sitting there with marvin mims on the board tank dell on the board Josh Downs on the board. Heck, yep. I would have rather taken Michael Wilson. Like, yep. Rasheed uh, Rice was there. Jaden yeah. Reed was there. Like everyone we saw at the Senior Bowl was there. It's, it was just Jonathan Mingo was the one they went with, and they got no first round pick next year. So that's going to, to the Bears, right? It's it's unfortunate because it's. I think it's worse that they're only at week four and they're like, we need to get this guy help. Like yeah. that's that's a massive indictment. And, you know, it's some confirmation for a lot of people because there was, like you said, concerns about Bryce Young's ability to thrive in an offense with zero weapons, zero downfield yeah. threats. Like, yeah, sure, DJ Shark is a veteran receiver, but he's not doing anything for this offense. Adam Thielen is just great because the volume is there. and He's a very talented, smart receiver, but he's not opening up things for this offense. And I think that's the big problem. But, I mean, is the number one receiver even going to turn things around for Bryce Young entirely? I think that's the biggest question for me. And what do you think he needs to succeed in the NFL at this point? Well, an, an, another receiver would help a lot because he's not processing slow. He's not necessarily, um, I don't want to say he's played well. I think he's played, that, right? he's played to the talent. And like our right guard, I think it is Chandler Savala. He's a, he's a rookie. Yeah. He's given up more. He gave up more pressures uh, in the Vikings game than any guard in the entire NFL this year. <laughs> Our offensive line's not good right now. And that was supposed to be a strength. Like Austin Colbert's yeah. still on IR, so hopefully he comes back. But we don't have a good offensive line. We don't have weapons who can win fast. That's an issue. I think yeah. that getting a... Th- Look, if we can get Judy or JML. 
then I think Bryce Young, no, nah, he's not going to put up Stroud numbers, um, but I think he'll be much more efficient. He'll be able to have a guy that can actually win and a guy that he trusts and a guy that he can get it done down the field. That's still far-fetched ideas. I still think that Denver might be trying to make it work, but hopefully behind mm-hmm. the scenes, some things are happening because we really, really need one. And today's NFL, you just can't be great without one. Joe Burrow wasn't great without Jamar Chase. He was awful that rookie season. He threw the ball 60 times a game, so his stats look nice. Yeah, watch the games and understand. Oh wow, he's missing a lot of throws. And then Jamar Chase came in, and everything was sunshine and rainbows until this year. Um, <laughs> yeah, this year has no, been a bit of a disaster for the Bengals. This, this Panthers Lions game, their their defense line is going to shut down our run game that hasn't been able to get going. Um, Adam Thielen will still work against these corners pretty well, but we're not going to have an advantage in the slot because Brian Branch is playing like one of the best safeties in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been. Absolutely unbelievable. And then on the flip side, our defense, we don't really have a guy that could bracket Amon Ra. They're going to be able to beat us in the run game or the pass. It's just going to be a matter of like how they want to beat us. Dave yeah. Montgomery, I mean, I'm not trusting Jameer Gibbs. And the reason it's it's not even his fault. It's just he's DeAndre Swift. Yeah, I know. And we see Swift in Philly. Looks mm-hmm. real good. It's like, wow, mm-hmm. this is what we all see. But at the end of the day, man, like every fantasy player is yelling about Swift. Why are you going to take Dave Montgomery off the field? Like, yeah. what is the because at the end of the day, the fantasy side sees big plays, mm-hmm. the Lions see sustained drives. Exactly. If you have a chance to keep your offense on the field for six minutes because you have a running back that's just bulldozing people, and then you can occasionally use your speed guy, you mm-hmm. do it. I don't care that Gibbs had the top 10 capital at this point, capital doesn't matter once you actually start playing. It matters when you get drafted and it helps with guiding. The NFL does it better than most. Everybody will say sit here and say they don't, but reality is, is it's a really hard game and right fit in certain situations always play factors into a lot of this stuff. But for me, Dave Montgomery is going to be their lead back. He's going to be able to bruise us um, there. I don't think Jamo's going to see the field much in this game. I, I can't imagine he plays if he plays plays more than 10% of the snaps. Like you saw that last year, and like they're rolling right now. Uh, Mar- the good news for him though is that Marvin Mims has or Marvin Jones has not worked out for that offense. So yes, JMO should be able to get full time role really fast. I'm just not sure it happens in Week One, coming off the hamstring injury and the way that Dan Campbell talked about him all preseason in just such a negative tone. And th- and that was where when you talked about JMO right and him going to Carolina and why you thought the price would be too high, that's where I sort of disagree, right? There's definitely a lot of s- negative sentiment in the building surrounding JMO from the hamstring injuries to yeah. him not necessarily being ready and you know studying and all the various things. That there's just been a lot of negativity around JMO on top of the gambling suspension, right? And it was stemming long before the suspension and even still all throughout the time where we're finding out he's suspended for gambling and all these things. There's just a lot of negativity surrounding JMO. And so if you're the Lions right now and you can cash out for like a third round pick, which I think is around what it would cost to get Judy. I'm not sure what Denver would ask for, especially if they walk into this walk into next week or the trade deadline at like one in six or one in seven big game against the Jets. And we'll get into that game, of course. But that's where I'm kind of looking at the situation. I think that JMO could be had. If Carolina was really, you know, after him. And then at that point, you mentioned Brian Burns. If he gets traded to a team that can get some capital from that team, maybe turn that into a new receiver, I think is probably the best path for them. Otherwise, they'll have to kind of figure something out and get creative, maybe trade a 25 pick, which I don't think they really want to do right now. But that's kind of the way I see it. But yeah, Gibbs, 
Gibbs is interesting because everyone wants him to be a thing because of the draft capital. And I think what happened was the draft capital made people think that Gibbs was going to be have a bigger role than he did. When mm-hmm. in reality, Gibbs is really playing like we all projected him to before he got the draft capital. And that's kind of how I see it now, right? Like if you were projecting Gibbs, you'd say, yeah, should be the second running back off the board. Probably going to be a second round pick early, middle, maybe late first, right? Can provide some definitely spark value. Maybe could take over touches throughout the season kind of later in the year but didn't expect him to come out the gates firing. Yeah. And then he gets this top 12 capital and you're like, oh, he's as good as Bijan. He's going to be used to all this, all this work. And it's like, no, man, Dave Montgomery yeah. is taking over Jamal Williams role and he's thriving. He's better than Jamal Williams was. He's grinding out drives. He's playing super well. Even when he's hurt, he's running the ball 30 times, scoring three touchdowns, RP two in fantasy. I mean, Christian McCaffrey really ruined his parade in that regard, but he's been playing so good. I think the Lions can easily beat the Panthers here. I think they can cover the 10 number, but we'll see how the game plays out. I just think, you know, you look at Jameer Gibbs and J-Mo, they're kind of the two stories for me. Amra's going to be great. I think Thielen's going to be great. Not real much else to talk about from this game as far as I'm concerned, but a much bigger game, Jordan, this week for the Baltimore Ravens heading to Pittsburgh. And I don't know if you saw this on Twitter, Jordan, but there's a lot of smoke about Matt Canada having a burner account. Oh yeah, no, that's real. That's that's real bad. It has to be real, right? It, like, just, there's no way it's not. This yeah. guy is talking about. He's replying to random Twitter threads and all this stuff, talking about it's not me, it's Pickett. I'm getting the ball to George Pickens. This, that, or the other. This over under is 38 and a half. Both teams yeah. have great defenses. The Baltimore Ravens offense is struggling right now. Something that actually kind of you were on board with when we <laughs> talked last time over a month ago. Yeah. But where do you want to go with the Ravens, right? They can get the ball to Zay Flowers, but I don't know if you knew this. Your boy, Marvin Mims, I believe is five yards short of Zay Flowers right now with mm-hmm. 15 less receptions and 18 less targets. So yeah. Zay Flowers, super low A dot, not doing much down the field, even though Rashad Bateman, not there. Odell Beckham Jr., supposed to be the savior, not there. What do the Ravens do to elevate this offense going forward? Do they make a trade? Do they have to just fix things? You know, Lamar is doing everything he can to win games. Can he beat this Pittsburgh team and cover this four-point spread on the road in Pittsburgh? Covering the spread is going to be very difficult because Lamar is only being—he's only being Pittsburgh once, and it was Mason Rudolph. He's Ah, never being Big Ben. He obviously never will. And so, me being high on the Ravens was true. I was very high on the offense when they had Ronnie Stanley and they had uh, Tyler Linderbaum playing at full capacity. They lost those two pieces. They lost Marlon Humphrey. They lost J.K. Dobbins. They lost um, which they lost Bateman and Odell Beckham and Odell. Yeah, and I don't think others must play this week either. Yeah. And then you look at like the teams they've played like the Colts game. They could not block whatsoever it was bad it was again they had to go to the run game and lamar ran for 100 yards but the turnovers because of fumbling because he's getting hit and just the overall that style of things like they didn't have time to throw it down the field which is hurting zay flowers because he can get open down the field he did it against the Bengals. they just are unable to block it long enough so in this game against steelers this is not a good spot not blaming the like the offensive scheme is not built to well Isaiah likely and Mark Andrews are not blocking tight ends. Yeah. Like bringing them into block doesn't really help much. And then when you bring in um, 
Patrick Ricard, like that's cool. But then you're taking one of those guys off the field for that. And then you're looking at who's your running back helping in pass pro. And it's Justice Hill. That's not good. So like they don't have the pieces to kind of max protect as well as you would with a normal team. Um, but the Browns game, look, they played as well as I thought anybody could against the Browns defense. The Browns defense yep. is I've, uh, very, I didn't realize how good, um, how much of an impact Darius Smith was going to make. And yeah. once I saw it in week one, I was like, I'm not playing this. De- I'm not playing players against them. I'm not. Yeah. Just, I didn't play them last week. I didn't play Mark Andrews. I refused. Obviously DTR started, which basically <laughs> kept the Ravens on the field the entire game. Um, but overall, like, the Ravens right now, I'm not really concerned. I don't think this is a game where they're going to have a good offense because AFC North football, I'm pretty sure they just have like a secret blood pact where they're just not not allowed to score a lot of touchdowns. It's Them like, in the Big again, Ten, right? It's like, yeah, it's like, they, yeah, they're all Iowa. They're just, they're all Iowa when they play each other. Like, yeah. even, like, obviously, I know Joe Burrow put up like 50 and all that stuff against Wink back in the day, but like, it just feels like you're just not able to be competent, especially against the Steelers. Like in yep. this, the Steelers had negative seven yards of offense against the Cleveland Browns in the fourth quarter. They were losing that game, game by three points and they won. It's just, it's it just feels gross. It's like um, one of my buddies said it best about Matt Canada. Cause I know you brought up his burner and yeah. his offense is horrible. I don't care it's, what is. And we get you risky this week. That'll yeah. be great. It's just it's just not going to be good. It's not going to be good against the Ravens. The Ravens defensive coordinator is legit and he's going to prevent big plays. And now they're not even going to be able to get little plays because they just can't really do it. But um, someone said we asked, like, it's always a funny thing. Like, is Mike Tomlin going to go about 500 and we're all? Yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah, he's, he just finds a way all the time. And someone is like, why does he choose to keep having Matt Canada around? It's like, well, Mike Tomlin likes playing on all Madden. He just he likes to make everything <laughs> as difficult as possible for him because I love Mike Tomlin. He is one of my favorite coaches in the NFL. Oh, my God. Does he need to adapt to the times of hiring outside? He needs yes. to, for the love of God, go get a 49ers disciple. I don't care who. I don't care how. Get someone that touched Kyle Shanahan once and just hire him because I promise yep. he can make call plays better than this guy. They have the talent. They have players on their offensive line. Their offensive line is not great. I'm not going to sit here and say that. But again, when we when we go to the Texans game, I'll bring up the uh, Bobby Slowick and how he's just one of the most underrated pl- play callers in football right now. Yeah, I mean, you know, we used to shit on a lot of people because it was, oh, this guy stood next to Sean McVay, so now he's a head coach or an OC, and, you know, that turns into LaFleur and Kevin O'Connell and all these guys, like, uh, what is it, Mike McDaniel down in in uh, Miami. It's like there's so many coaches, it's just they are really good coaches. Like, McVay and Shanahan are so good that they can even elevate their disciples to be great head coaches, great play callers, have great offenses. Like, it's insane, and it sounds crazy, but there is a method to this madness. And you know, a few years ago, a lot of people were detractors from that. And now you see it play out, and you're like, why isn't everyone doing this? And as you said, this leads us straight into our next game, Houston Texans and Atlanta Falcons. The Texans are a team that no one expected anything from. People called it the worst trade in history, trading their first overall pick to the Arizona Cardinals. And Jordan, I don't know if you knew this, but right now, 
that Texans first overall pick is actually above the Cardinals pick, above even the Browns pick that they have in the Deshaun Watson trade because they're even better than the Browns right now in terms of record. So you look at this trade and it was the worst trade in history. Now D'Amico Ryans once again proving that he deserved to be a head coach a long time ago, but obviously he was waiting for the right situation. Coming back to Houston, getting C.J. Stroud, getting Will Anderson, making Tank Dell phenomenal. You know, you talk about Bobby Slowick. And then as well, you know, you were all over this Atlanta Falcons improvement on defense. I think they've shown it every single week, whether they win or lose. I think this defense always shows up. It's literally just Desmond Ritter. But please talk to me about this Texans offense, because whether it's CJ Stroud, the decimated offensive line, the weapons on the outside being trash, they have overcome every single obstacle in front of them and they just continue to win ball games. Do you think they can beat the Falcons on the road this week? Yes, I, I do believe that they beat the. I do believe they can beat the Falcons on the road. I think it's going to be very, very difficult because of two things. Falcons run schemes different. We talk about D'Amico Ryan's great head coach, great this, great that. Last year with the 49ers defense fully healthy against Atlanta with Tyler Algier, Caleb Huntley, Atlanta beat them by two scores. Now. I know Atlanta's not playing with Marcus Mariota, I guess, but I think Bijan Robinson's pretty good. And I don't care pretty what good. Kyle Pitts and Drake London look like. It doesn't matter to me. It's not their fault. It's uh <laughs> it's just the product of what's going on there. But I would say Atlanta from a from a skill perspective is a lot better. And they're gonna have issues because this scheme just doesn't defend that pretty well. But as far as the Texans and Bobby Slovic, there are three players averaging over eight yards per reception after the catch. This season, that is Nico Collins, that is Debo Samuel, that is Jalen Waddle. What do all three of these players have in common? They were all on that 49er staff just two years ago. It's the offense is very good from a scheme perspective. Like I said, they're depleted on the offensive line, but CJ Stroud's not getting hit much. Mm-hmm. CJ Stroud got hit in the first game. The first game yeah, he, yeah. they got after him. Bobby Slowick said, okay. I can't run 11 personnel. Like, I can't run three wide receivers on the field. This kind of sucks. Uh, This is not the offense I wanted to run. So what did he do? He went ahead and he's like, I'm going to give a lot more 12 personnel because I do not want to put my quarterback in harm's way, which is something good for him because since then, it's been a completely different offense that people are like, how are they doing this? Like, You look at the Texans, and I am pulling up the numbers as we speak, with their percentage of personnel against the Ravens, 72% 11. Wow. That's that's a lot. In week two, they stayed with 73% against 11 because they were down really early, like the Colts went on the gauntlet. But Noah Brown being down allowed them to see Tank Dell. In that game, Tank Dell went crazy nico collins did extremely well that whole offense you saw like wait bobby slowick was asked after the game like why'd you abandon the run he's like well we couldn't run it's like did an offensive coordinator just say if he can't do something he's not gonna do it i wish others that's crazy yeah so after the colts losing both games they lost by two scores they said okay we're gonna adapt what san fran and miami are doing they went 11 personnel 44% 44% of plays. They went 12 on 5%. They went tw- or 
20, which is two running backs on 2%, they went 21 or 22 on over 43% of plays. What people don't understand, know about it is 22 is two running backs, which could be a fullback, and two tight ends. <laughs> 21 is a running back with a fullback or another running back and a tight end on the field. They brought in a fullback, pretty much. That's that's what they did. That was the main thing. It's not Devin Singletary and um, Damian Pierce Pierce. playing. And the next week against the Steelers, they ran 48% of their plays from 21. They kept that fullback in there. They made the Steelers because they knew the Steelers would give them their 3-4, which is their base defense. And when you give a 3-4, you're bringing kind of extra players in the box, which allows you to start throwing down the field a little bit easier because it's a little bit more lanes, a little less defensive backs on the field, a little less space to cover. And that's where you get Nico Collins running slants because Patrick Peterson can't cover him. That's where you got Tank Dell just getting a few screens. You got Damian Pierce getting a few screens because they're rushing the passer. And the Steelers were off balance basically the entire game in that one. And again, D'Amico Ryans is playing, is coaching uh, exceptional football. Everybody made fun of the picks, but I said from the jump, if C.J. Stroud is great and Will Anderson is great, then it does not matter that they made those trades because those two can change it. I didn't think they could be as good as they are right away, but to tell me that they couldn't win a division with the Colts, Jags, and Titans, like, come on. Like, we've seen this division. We know this division. It's not a great one. So for me, the Texans, to sum it up, their coaching staff is amazing right now cj stroud is everything i thought he was as a passer but he's showing he's willing to read read run yeah and he picks up those yards that instead of other rookies who just want to hang in there and make the play it seems like him and slowick are on the same page this game against atlanta is going to be tough and the reason it's going to be tough is because they're not going to be able to run the ball um atlanta's interior defense line is menacing um, it's like they shut down the lions and it wasn't Gibbs yeah. fault. The Gibbs got 17 carries and got like 70 yards. And it was just because he was getting hit line of scrimmage. So the Texans are going to have to throw the ball in this game. They're going to have to continue to make their line hold up with all the makeshift pieces that they have. And, um, the problem here for them is that AJ Terrell is going to lock down whoever he's covering. Yes, He is playing unbelievable football right now in this new scheme. So it's going to be up to whoever is not getting covered by him without that snap. It might not be. It might be Nico Collins some plays. It might be Tank Dell other plays. Uh, I think it's more of a Tank Dell type of game because I don't think Terrell. I don't think they match Terrell with him. I think they match Terrell with Nico Collins. So if I had to guess from Houston side of things, Tank Dell has to have a big day if they want to win. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And, you know, just talking about Jesse Bates and what he's done already this season with four interceptions or three interceptions. Sorry, he's just been phenomenal already. And I I am a little bit concerned. You know, Stroud hasn't thrown a pick yet, but with Jesse Bates back there, that could definitely change. With AJ Terrell walking up one side and then Jesse Bates floating on the other side could definitely be a problem. But do you have any thoughts quickly on the Falcons? Because Desmond Ritter is obviously a massive problem. I don't think we need to touch on that too much. But can this turn around at all? And do you think they turn to Heineke at some point this season? Hopefully sooner rather than later. They should turn to Heineke right away. They should stop playing Desmond Ritter. It's just not an experiment that needs to be had anymore. I think it's time to just bring in, you know, I think this is a spot where if they're losing at halftime, we see Heineke start second half. 
Um, it, as long as it's Ritter's fault, like it's, it's not a 21 to 28 <laughs> shootout. It's not Ritter's whatever. fault, right? Like yeah, Bijan's doing his thing. Like yeah. Pitts is desperately trying to get a target that's on target. You know, Johnny yeah. Smith is balling out because, of course, Johnny Smith with Arthur Smith, you know, going back to like 2019 when he had a tight end one season under Arthur Smith, people kind of forget about that. And the reason why Johnny Smith was able to go into this offense to integrate so quickly. Um, yeah, the Falcons are an absolute dumpster fire, but hopefully for us, they do go to Heineke because I think that could mean at least some decent things downfield and more targets for the wide receivers and tight ends overall. But we did have a trade that broke while we were recording this podcast. The Patriots traded for JC Jackson. And that is our next game. It's going to be an absolute dumpster fire between the New Orleans Saints and the New England Patriots. A matchup that I used to love watching when it was Sean Payton and Bill Belichick because they do have a relationship. They do joint practices almost every year. It's just one of those relationships that's well known in NFL circles. They talk a lot. They game plan a lot. They are you know close friends, all that kind of stuff. So seeing those teams match up, it's always fun. Now, this year, of course, it is Dennis Allen up against these Patriots. Saints defense, I like a lot. They're struggling a little bit on the back end right now. But the Patriots defense, already phenomenal. Trading for a corner that they had tons of success with in J.C. Jackson. I think he probably plays this week, filling in for Christian Gonzalez, who is hurt right now. But, I mean, fantasy football-wise, DFS-wise, is there anybody that you want on either side of this game? Maybe Alvin Kamara with his record-breaking 13 receptions on, what, 34 yards receiving? Yeah. It was absolutely disgusting. Nope. Derek Carr looks terrible, playing hurt. We need to see Jameis Winston in the offense. Like, Mac Jones is okay at times, but I think against the Saints defense, he's going to struggle. 40-point over-under, one-point spread that actually shifted to the Patriots since the trade. I'm just not seeing anything I like from this game, and I think it's one we can kind of move past pretty quickly. Yeah, I don't, I don't like anything about this one. I think that um, Chris Olave is the guy, or Rashid Shahid is the only yes. two players that I would have interest in. Problem is, I got to go watch Derek Carr's film. I haven't been able to get that done yet this week, and I just want to see. Spray chart is there. disgusting. I know it's short. I know, I know that he's done all the short stuff. I, I, if he's not throwing it deep, there's no interest in this game at all. So that's the only way I would even be close to interested. Yeah, if he can't throw, if he can't throw deep, then they just play man coverage and they blitz the hell out of him, and he's not going anywhere. Like they're going to have guys on Kamara. Like there's going to be yeah. no interest from a fantasy defense perspective. I'd be benching pretty much everybody I have in this game, even Hunter Henry. You know, like the saints great against tight ends so you don't want to yeah. like pete warner is phenomenal against covering tight ends so you don't want to be playing pretty much anyone in this game but i do want your opinion on the indianapolis colts because shane steichen right play caller offense coordinator head coach that i was all in on all offseason i was like whoever the rookie quarterback is the place for the colts like you want that guy because steichen is doing things with jalen hurts with the eagles offense that is just completely unheard of and is truly phenomenal on a lot of different levels. And you see it already. Anthony Richardson, QB2 in points per game right now in fantasy football. You want Anthony Richardson. Like he is going to be great, whether he's accurate or not. He's going to be great for fantasy football because Shane Sykin's system, the schemes, the plays that he's designing, especially late in the game this week in the comeback against the Rams, some of the most ridiculous plays I've ever seen. Execution was phenomenal. Really liked what I saw from the Colts. The Titans, I mean, the defense will be good. Secondary is awful. We'll see how they play in this one. Fantasy wise, like you don't really want to play anybody, maybe Derrick Henry, and you can talk about him if you want. But how do you feel about this Colts offense? You know, Michael Pittman operating as a wide receiver one, basically for fantasy football. And Anthony Richardson has been phenomenal to start the year. And even Zach Moss, right? JT, though, expected to be back. 
So I'm not sure what that role looks like if JT plays, if Zach Moss assumes the majority of the carries again, but that whole Zach Moss train may be ending shortly um, with the comeback of Jonathan Taylor, but we'll see what happens there. But how are you feeling about the Colts going forward? Do you think they have any shot at winning this division? Because they're as well doing, doing pretty well. And with the Jags struggling, obviously the Texans, we talked about them and how good they are, but the Colts as well playing pretty good football right now under Shane Sykin. I don't think they're ready to win the division yet because I don't think that defense is good enough. Um, as far as the Colts Titans game, like I'm just not touching the run game of Indy yeah. just because of the way that Jeffrey Simmons plays football and he's just an absolute menace to society in that area of the field. Um, as far as the Colts are going to have to beat him down the field, I think this is a game where you could get cute and play Alec Pierce. I don't care that he hasn't produced at all. I know Antoine is uh, obviously one of the greatest receivers to ever come out. Uh, yes, sir. According to some of you guys there. But in general, for me, when it comes to the Titans, you want to beat them down the field. You can't beat them short methodically. You just saw it last week with Joe Burrow. If Joe Burrow is not beating you, uh, then Anthony Richardson passing. I, I don't care that Joe Burrow's hurt. Anthony Richardson throwing the football is still not there yet. But what he does have is an exceptionally talented arm down the field. And in this game, like Alec Pierce is still running like 90 percent. Yeah. Alec Pierce has run 90% of the routes every single week so far. So like I I'll buy into a 90% route runner. That's sub whatever that's getting his average depth of target is 20 yards down the field. So against the yeah. Titans, he can win deep and he's not going to get number one coverage. We know Anthony Richardson's not going to throw a ton. So I think that uh, he's a good one off to kind of play in this one. Yeah, it's a spot where they can actually afford to take shots because we know that's how you beat the Titans. And and like you mentioned with Joe Burrow, they he can't throw it that far because he doesn't have time or he can't load up and make the throw. So you're completely limiting them on on offense. And then, of course, the Titans do have a very good front seven, phenomenal run game. And if you can if they can force you to play tight because of what the offense operates as clearly they can win a ball game. And I think to your point. Shane Sykin will know that he'll make he'll dial up some deep shots, whether it's to Josh Downs, whether it's to the big tight ends, whether it's to Alec Pierce, even potentially Michael Pittman. Those opportunities will have to be had because that's how they're going to open up the defense and force them to spread out a little bit. And I think that's the key to success for them. So we can move forward because we do have a matchup I'm pretty excited for, actually, the Philadelphia Eagles between the and the Los Angeles Rams. We, of course, can dive all into the wide receiver usage because you have some phenomenal numbers on Puka Nakua and Tutu Atwell. Cooper Cup, I don't know if he's expected back right now. I haven't seen anything to report that he is going to be back or will be back this week. We'll see because they, I think it was Sean McVay who said that he wants him back to 80 to 90% and he's not there yet. Whether he's there on Sunday, we will see. But the Eagles as well, Jordan, I've been lukewarm on the Eagles offense. They started kind of slow. Yes, it's the Patriots, but they didn't look that great against the Vikings. And then, you know, you look at the Washington game where AJ Brown finally getting involved. And what do you know? The Eagles offense looks great again. But even against this Rams defense, you know, we, we've talked about how they are going to struggle to generate pressure. That's the reason why they couldn't beat the Bengals was because they couldn't get any pressure on Joe Burrow. And if they can't do that to the Eagles, I think the Jalen Hurts is going to cook them. But on the other side, and talk about the offense for the Rams, those receivers, who do you think is the guy that can win in this matchup? Because everyone loves Puka. Tutu's been great. And then who do you like on the Eagles side as well? We will start, though, with the Rams because I think Matthew Stafford's been phenomenal this year. Yeah. His touchdown numbers aren't there, but everything else says Matthew Stafford is back in full force, and it's partially because Puka Nakua and Tutu Atwell have been thriving in this offense. So for starters, when it comes to the Philadelphia Eagles and who I want to or who I want to play against them, like 
I think this is a matchup for Puka to not be great. Uh, I think he's a little okay. too pricey on DraftKings. And the reason is, is because I think they, Philly is going to play a little bit more man than they have in this year. Because I think their defensive coordinator recognizes when he can play man and when he can play zone. Um, they played a lot of zone against Minnesota. They played a lot of zone against New England. This past weekend against the Commanders, where they know their pass rush is winning, they ran 40% man coverage against pretty much all of these guys. And I know they gave up some points, but I think this is a matchup where you're looking at it and like, who's going to beat you man to man. And the only person you really can is Tutu with his speed, but you know, Stafford's hurt. You know, his hip is messed up. You know that he played through it and he's just Matt Stafford. That's what he's going to do. Um, and this one, I think that they believe they can match up well. And Puka is not going to have nearly as good of a game as he has. He's going to be similar to the way that it looked like against the Bengals, because again, the Bengals were a team that said, oh, we're not going to just let him get a free release. Um, every other team seems to have done that. And that's the biggest problem. Like Puganuku had th- 34% of his routes run against the Bengals in man coverage. Zero targets, zero yards per route run. He was not effective one bit. He still had a huge target share against zone coverage. Um, he was much more effective. But again, it seemed like the... Bengals were getting their hands on him. And if you get your hands on him, he's not that like his numbers are unbelievable. I'm not trying to take any credit away from him. He's not one of the best receivers in football. He is playing in a system with a quarterback that is going to give you a chance. And he's got one of the best damn hands in football. He is catching Mm -hmm. the football with a lot. Like he's making a lot of catches. He's not running and getting open. Like he's not separating is kind of the way I would describe it. Yeah. And I mean, you look at kind of what they're doing right now. I've been just so impressed. Like Sean McVay, for what we expected of this team, it's almost like him reintroducing himself to the league, right? He came in, obviously, hotshot coach, was phenomenal, won Super Bowl, obviously won a Super Bowl with the Rams, Matthew Stafford, all that stuff. But it's like this is his time to reestablish himself as an elite play caller, elite schemer, you know, still as Matthew Stafford, but without Cooper Cup doing phenomenal things for this offense. But do you have any thoughts on the Eagles right now? You know, you talked about DeAndre Swift earlier. You talked about A.J. Brown and him versus Emmanuel Forbes. I mean, how was that ever going to work, as you mentioned? But I think Devontae Smith is kind of a big talking point for a lot of people as well because people are expecting a lot of big things from Swift. And on top of that, Goddard, very underutilized right now in this offense. I think it's concerning people, especially for fantasy football. Do you have any concerns about the Eagles and kind of the way they're calling plays? They're winning games, and they've been pretty good. I still think they could be a little bit better in terms of executing, but the offensive line is going to be great, especially in this game versus a team that doesn't generate a lot of pressure. But how do you feel about this team overall? So for the Eagles, I'm definitely not as high as them as I was last year. I think the middle linebacker to safety group is awful. I think that you can beat them with tight ends. I actually think uh, Tyler Higby will also be a play for this Rams as long as uh, he's Mm -hmm. healthy out there. Um, but as far as the Eagles offense, like, yeah, no, it's it's going through a change. Shane Steichen was a very good coach and they lost them and they're not. They didn't replace them with someone who's better. So sometimes you have that. I think that it's a growing it's like growing pains kind of thing right now. Uh, last week, it was cool because they were like, hey, this is the matchup we have. We can win this matchup. Let's just do that. And that's what they did. Just kept throwing it to A.J. Brown against an 160 pound corner which is something that I was adamant about when they drafted Emmanuel Forbes. I'm like, why? What's the purpose? And 
should have played AJ Brown. That that didn't that didn't come back to my mind. Um, so for me, it's like they're I think from an offensive perspective, having DeAndre Swift is really good for them because they don't have to run Jalen Hurts as much. And when not running Jalen Hurts as much, it's like protecting him. And then on the flip side, it's like they know they're getting to the playoffs. It's like, let's get there and then we cook. Like that's kind of I think they want to finish strong than necessarily this slow start, which again. It's also the defense. It's also some weird situations with drops and certain things, but they're going to be able to move the ball. I think that they'll get better as the season goes on, but it's just not going to be saying Steichen. That's just, they're not going to be able to be as explosive as that. Yeah, they're adjusting to the new play call or the new scheme. And as you mentioned, probably leaving a little bit in the tank for when they get further down. They still have that big Chiefs game in week 11. So probably reserving a little bit of their money plays, as we probably call them, some of the bigger plays that they're expecting down the field for when those times ultimately come. But let's move forward now because we do have to talk about the Bengals. We can talk about the Cardinals a bit if you want. The Bengals do travel to Arizona this week. Only three-point favorites. And honestly, Jordan, I don't know why it's that close. Like, I think it may even... Like, I think it should honestly be Arizona favorite. Like, I don't really know how the Bengals are going to beat the Cardinals because the Cardinals are pretty good. For better or worse, they are in every game. They can score points. And the Bengals can't. Like, you look at them right now and you're just saying, how do you beat them? play up close, play tight, force Joe Burrow to make a ton of tough decisions that are in short windows and tight windows. And I think you can stay competitive in this game. I think the Cardinals can score on the Bengals because their defense has regressed a little bit after last season being pretty damn good. I'm not really sure what to do with the Bengals, Jordan. How would you fix the Bengals right now? Because it seems like there is no answer until Joe Burrow is finally healthy. I would rest Joe Burrow. Like what? But you can't tank the season if you're the Bengals because it's his rookie contract and all these things. Yeah, he's yeah. he's playing through it and he's deciding to go that route. But Mike, they handle that so poorly. Like it's clear yeah. he can't throw it down the field. It is clear yeah. there's no way that he's doing it in practice because he's not doing it in the games. And as of right now, like the Cardinals defensive scheme is going to give some teams issues. The only way the Bengals kind of win this game is if Jamar Chase um puts on goes Jamar Chase, yeah. Yeah. Like because the Bengals so the Cardinals right now, they're playing their safeties a lot closer to the line of scrimmage than most teams. So what it is, is like you're going to have to catch a slant and break a tackle and go. And Jamar Chase can do that. So I think that's what they're betting on. And obviously, if they made the Cardinals the favorites, it would probably be slammed Bengals plus points. Probably, uh, But they're trying to get the 50-50 odds. And I think this does it pretty well. But no, for the Cardinals, they, they've been really impressive. I think the way that they are going to win this game is with James Conner in the run game. I think Mm -hmm. they're just going to run at Trey Hendrickson and not allow Josh Dobbs to make the mistake. Josh Dobbs has also played phenomenal football lately. I mean, the dudes play the 49ers and Cowboys, and he's had no excuses. Are the Cardinals offense line that much better than the Giants or some of these other teams that we all complain about? Um, My thing is, is how how is Josh Dobbs and the Cardinals beating the Cowboys, competing with the 49ers? And then we say in the same sense, Daniel Jones needs a ball offense line. Justin Fields needs all these things. Josh yeah. Dobbs is competing with the Cardinal or with the 49ers and beating the Cowboys. He's doing it with James Conner, Marquise Brown, Rondale Moore, and Michael, Michael Wilson? Wilson. Zach Ertz? Zach I mean, Ertz, yeah. Like, look, it's simple to me that it's like, hey, this is great coaching. This is what this looks like. This is what like a team that's like, hey. We're going to play for things. Like, I didn't think Jonathan Gannon was going to be a great coach. I didn't think their offense coordinator was going to be great. <laughs> First four weeks of the season, they got something cooking there. And, I mean, good for them. Jonathan Gannon's playing his different scheme. Doesn't seem like he's got any input on the offense, which is yeah. huge. 
because I hate when defensive coaches do that. And their offense runs really well. It's going to be interesting to see what James Conner does against this team because I think that he's the player I'd expect to have a big game. Yeah, I'm with you. I think they have to run with James Conner, and that's been their key to success, right? For whatever reason, you know, they obviously drafted Paris Johnson. That was a phenomenal pick by them, and trading down and accumulating more assets on top of that was great. But I mean, even against this Bengals team, you're going to have to run the ball, keep the ball out of Joe Burrow's hands. And I think that tight system, like you mentioned, on defense is going to be the key to success. And Gannon, to everyone's surprise, you know, given the awkward interviews and random social clips you just see of him talking to people, you're like, this dude is not it. And oddly enough, it reminds me a lot of what we saw in Philly just a few years ago, right? And now all of a sudden we have head coach, coach of the year candidates, a great team in Philly. And what do you know? The coaching tree for Philly is looking pretty good right now with Jonathan Gannon off to a great start in Arizona. I just can't help but think what this team would look like if they had Kyler Murray, because I have to imagine Kyler Murray's better than Josh Dobbs. But as you mentioned, Josh Dobbs has been so good. Maybe Kyler Murray wouldn't have be better than him. Like maybe Kyler Murray's not competing with the 49ers and not beating the Cowboys. Like, I think that's a legitimate conversation because these teams are so good. Um, you know, Josh Dobbs, just a guy that journeyman quarterback, but for people who don't know, this dude is like a genius. He's like an aerospace engineer, super smart, been on tons of teams. Like for whatever reason, he's just a guy who's getting it done on a team that no one expects anything from. And I think that's the true big story. And you talk about the Bengals, like I, I don't know how you fix that team right now. There's just so many issues and it does stem from Joe Burrow, but I think it definitely goes beyond that. And, it, you know, it's almost dating back to when Zach Taylor was supposed to be fired a few years ago. Then they went to Super Bowl. They mm. were reverting back to the old Zach Taylor, right? The one that everyone thought needed to go and, and wasn't really working out. But we can move forward because that game's not too interesting to a game that's much more interesting. Kansas City and Minnesota. The Vikings are teetering on the edge of destruction. Jordan, there's no way they can beat the Chiefs, can they? There's just no way. At which point they'd be one and four. Kirk Cousins should be traded. You mentioned trading him to the Falcons would be great. And I think it would be as well. You talk about like Ryan Tannehill plus in that Arthur Smith offense would be phenomenal. But the Chiefs, no one wants to start Sky Moore. Rasheed Rice is doing things. Travis Kelsey has got the Swifties attention. But it's really just Patrick Mahomes, Isaiah Pacheco for me in fantasy. And then you look at the Vikings side. Justin Jefferson is great. Jordan Addison isn't running enough routes. KJ Osborne is running too many routes. I believe he has the lowest yard per route run production in the NFL right now, minimum 50 routes run. And he still runs like some of the most routes in the NFL because that's just what the Vikings do. But how are you feeling about this game from a DFS and fantasy perspective? Because Addison's a guy that everyone wants to play, but after last week, not looking so great. KJ still running ahead of him. And then of course on the Chiefs side, who the hell is getting the ball in this one? So as far as DFS perspective, I've got to figure out a lot of things with this game because it's got a 53-point <laughs> over-under, and that's just where the popularity is going to be. Yeah. As far as Jordan Addison goes, look, the Vikings, Justin Jefferson ran 21 routes on um, this past week. So, like, if they're not dropping back the pass, <laughs> they're not going to be productive. And if it's only 21 attempts and Justin Jefferson's taking 10 of those targets, 9 of those targets, like... It's just Kirk Cousins didn't throw for many yards in our game. Like, there's no reason that they needed to go that route. Um, as far as Addison, he still ran 71% of the routes, which is huge. He's still what he is as like a deep route guy, a player that I expect to win on double moves. In this game against the Chiefs, the Chiefs run a lot of too high. So he's a guy that I think can make a lot of big plays in this game. Um, we've seen the Chiefs corners kind of give up the big play. Um, it's just going to come down to what does Brian Flores do on defense? I 
I don't, I don't understand awful. what he did against um, Justin Herbert. I I get what he did against uh, Jalen Hurts, but this man, I'm just going to read these numbers because it's way easier to say it this way. He went ahead. He blitzed. Um, he blitzed Baker Mayfield 48% of the time. Okay. He played a lot of man coverage, I believe, or zone coverage, too high type of stuff. It's like, okay, so maybe he adapted like what um, what uh, Mike Tomlin does. Mike Tomlin runs a lot of too high coverages, blitzes in like a zone fashion. Then he played Jalen Hurts, and he blitzed them a lot, but he kept two safeties deep, put a middle linebacker at defensive end, and they had a 240-pound guy on the defensive line. The Vic- or Eagles were like, we're just going to run at it. Then he yeah. goes to Joe Burr or Justin Herbert. He blitzed Justin Herbert 84% of his dropbacks. He blitzed oh my God. every single play. Chargers on the line's really good. They left Keenan Allen one-on-one on 20, I think it was like 28% they ran cover zero. So Keenan Allen was one-on-one. Keenan Allen went for his best day ever. Yeah. So the Panthers, he blitzed Bryce Young only 39, 36% of the time. He's trying to confuse the rookie. We didn't play well. We got into the red zone plenty. We were throwing a lot of bubble screens, and it was killing them. So it's kind of like, are you going to blitz Mahomes? Because Mahomes hasn't been blitzed this year. Mahomes <laughs> doesn't get blitzed. Nobody wants to actually go ahead and do that. But if they do, Mahomes is deadly against it. Um, against the Jets, they blitz him on just 17%. Or Sorry, the Jets barely blitz him. The Jets actually held down their own against that game. But the Bears blitzed them 6% of the time, 18.5 yards per attempt. <laughs> I think there is a chance that Flores blitzes him at the highest rate that Mahomes has seen in quite some time. So mm-hmm. this might be one of those blow-up weeks for Mahomes. Or, since he hasn't seen it in such a long time, their offense is built differently, he could have some struggles. I think Travis Kelsey is the one that just has a monster game. Um, I think that Mahomes played his worst game as a pro last Sunday. Um, I thought that game was embarrassing. I was shocked. Like, I was absolutely shocked the way that he played, the way he was throwing the football. So, lackadaisical, like, I don't care. Um, But, anywho, in this game, I think that you're going to see Flores blitz him a lot, and Mahomes, for the first time, had this opportunity to throw downfield where it's single coverage and stuff. Just going to be a matter of who's it going to be. Rasheed Rice played more snaps or as many, ran as many routes as Sky Moore this weekend. I think we might see that. I think Rasheed Rice might overtake Sky Moore, who just hasn't been able to get open. Yeah, I mean, Rasheed Rice has been a player. We've talked about, we've seen in person, like we like him a lot. And I think early on in the season, you look at some of these second round picks, they're all performing at a high level and deserve to be getting snaps. Sky Moore as well as second round pick last year. Didn't really do a whole lot. People thought big things this year. And, and to your point, Rasheed Rice has already looked better than Sky Moore in pretty much every way. So I think he could get involved. You talked about the 53 point over under. I really like that a lot going to be a lot of points going to be a lot of scoring and if Mahomes gets blitzed maybe we see 45 50 dropbacks from Kirk Cousins which would be great for everyone involved if you got JJ Addison even KJ to some degree Hawkinson's been phenomenal to start the year mm-hmm. I think all these guys could thrive I hope we see Rasheed Rice like you mentioned a lot of Travis Kelsey I think Pacheco could be good as well because the Vikings haven't been great against the run but you know part of that is based off that Philly game where they just ran the heck out of the ball and that's just what's going to happen when you run the heck out of the ball against a team that doesn't want to stop the run you're going to give up a lot of rushing yards so I think 
we are pretty much set there. Um, not a lot of other things I want to talk about. Like these guys, you start them. Like you're starting Jefferson, you're starting Hawkinson. You're start, probably starting Kirk Cousins with the total, with the matchup. Loves the Chiefs defense, but they didn't play that great against Zach Wilson. So hopefully they have a better performance against the Vikings this week. But we do have a massive game, Jordan. Massive game. 43 point over under, two point spread. The Jets and Broncos. No, I'm not talking about the Cowboys and 49ers. We'll get to that in a minute. But the Jets and Broncos. Do you expect anything in this game? Like, do you expect any points? Because the Jets defense is good. Broncos defense is terrible. Zach Wilson maybe can show up in this game. Garrett Wilson, maybe a big game. But outside of that, like, I don't expect the Broncos to put up any points on the Jets. And I don't really expect the Jets to do a whole lot either. I think this is a game where you could see a lot from Brees Hall, really get the running game going with him and Dalvin Cook to protect Zach Wilson a little bit, take some shots down the field. And of course, on the Broncos side, how the hell are they going to beat the Jets? The offense has been better but, you know, you talk about Jerry Judy, Jerry Judy, his snaps are decreasing for whatever reason. Marvin Mims, his snaps are going up, thank God, because he is killing it right now. And he needs more targets. But Cortland Sutton has been the guy. Brandon Johnson keeps getting targeted in the end zone, vulturing all these touchdowns. Jalen McLaughlin, McGlillan, McLaughlin, whoever his name is, my apologies to you, sir. But no one expected you to do anything. We thought it'd be Piran. We thought it'd be Javante. And this guy's the one scoring the touchdowns. Very frustrating all around, whether you're you know a supporter of the Jets or you're a supporter of the Broncos. It's been difficult to start these guys in fantasy because you just don't know who's getting the ball. Yeah, with the Broncos, it's a three or the sorry, the Jets, it's a three-way committee. I, I think the Jets run game is the only thing I have interest in. Um, Jets defense is going to be able to get after Russell Wilson. And then the flip yep. side, they're playing a coverage scheme that Russell Wilson hates to go up against. Um, they're probably gonna get him a few times on interceptions, I think, in this one. Um, and they're going to try this quick passing game, but it's just not going to work. But as far as the Jets, Brees Hall is their main running back. He sees 46% of the offensive snaps. He only had 10 touches this past week. Uh, he had six carries for 56 yards. But like, how how many plays are they going to run and how often are they going to be on the field to get the ball? Um, previous week, 14 carries for or 14 touches for Brees Hall. But like, they're a three-way committee right now, so it's kind of a nightmare to figure out. I would love to say Brees Hall is going to be the guy. I think that he is their best running back. I don't think they want to commit that way. I think that they want to use Dalvin occasionally a lot. They want to use Michael Carter on third and longs and stuff like that. So as far as uh, game script and stuff, Brees Hall is the one I would most interest in. But Denver is the favorite, and Vegas is usually pretty sick with this kind of stuff. So this game could be a Denver Broncos defense figuring it out against Zach Wilson. But I do not expect like Garrett Wilson or any of the other players in this game to make a difference. I think it would have to be Brees Hall for the Jets. Yeah, Garrett Wilson's going to have Pat Sertain, right? Which is going to be a challenge for him, obviously. And then you have the Jets offense. Like you mentioned, it's really just the running game up against Denver. Denver's defense is wretched. Uh, I believe when I was looking at it earlier, the Denver defense is allowing like an 80% completion percentage to opposing wide receivers. That was courtesy of the 33rd team edge tool, by the way. Go check that out. Phenomenal tool, phenomenal stuff that you guys do over there. But that is a staggering number. And so if Zach Wilson can complete passes against that defense, which he should be able to do, we'll see. I think the only question really is Pat Sertain and kind of his involvement because he could be a guy who breaks a big play. Oh, Jordan, are you looking at some numbers here? I see your mouth wide open. You seem a little bit shocked. We're talking about this game. Randy Gregory cut. What? They signed a five-year, $70 million contract this past or last offseason. He is on the market. Oh, my God. What are they doing? He's going to end up in Miami. He should. Or Denver. Absolutely. 49ers. Or, 
Yeah, or the 49ers. Like, they need any more help or on defense. the Cowboys. I think you go back to the Cowboys. Whether or not the Cowboys want them is kind of the other question. Uh, they they did definitely use the help on defense a little bit. Their defense has been great, but I think, you know, corner right now would be their immediate need if they could find somebody. We'll see if anyone becomes yeah. available. Obviously, J.C. Jackson no longer available. Now he's on the Patriots. But we do have, Jordan, a massive game that everyone should be tuning in for between the Dallas Cowboys and the San Francisco 49ers. And this will be our last game that we talk about because I will just leave the Monday night Packers-Raiders game. Like, that game is going to be just disgusting. Oh, yeah. We will leave it on a high note. Cowboys and Niners, Jordan. Who wins there, this game and why? Christian McCaffrey wins this game because Christian McCaffrey is Christian McCaffrey. And the Cardinals just showed everybody what you do to Dallas. Patriots didn't have the bodies or the talent to do so. If Dallas wants to take Michael Parsons off the defensive line, then they will start throwing the ball against Deron Bland and such. I know Deron Bland played one great game. It's not Brandon Ayuk or Debo Samuel. So I think the 49ers are going to run at Micah Parsons. They are going to do everything they can to bulldoze him. And again, 49ers and Kyle Shanahan have Dan Quinn's number. They know how to get Mm -hmm. him uh, frustrated. On the flip side, Dallas is going to be an interesting offense against them this time. They're playing this more methodical approach, not so many big plays. They're going to run the ball a lot with Tony Pollard. So I'm intrigued to see Dallas's offense versus the 49ers defense because I think they're going to limit themselves from turning the ball over, which is going to help a lot of things that they do. But I still have a picture of Fred Warner covering CeeDee Lamb when CeeDee Lamb's in the slot and locking him up. Craziest thing that he has done in it for me watching him. He's an unbelievable, which shout out that he has a, 3013 podcast with us. Uh, him cool. and his wife break some stuff down, talks about some games, talk about some sacks, some stuff that they do over there. It's really it's really cool to watch because he's got a really funny personality. But as far as this game, I'm intrigued to see the Dallas offense control the ball. If they can't, then 49ers. I mean, I don't think that they're going to have issues scoring. Um, I think that they're going to make it so Brock Purdy doesn't have to do much. And Brock Purdy yep. is exceptionally well at processing. The Cowboys run a ton of cover one coverage. They're going to have to in this game. They're going to have to match up man-to-man. Who's going to cover Brandon Ayuk? Who's going to cover Debo? And based on that, it's who the matchup will be. So I expect Debo, Ayuk. Like I expect it to be a more spread approach with the 49ers, but yeah. Christian McCaffrey headhunting the whole thing, especially if they line up Micah Parsons on the D-line. Yeah, I mean, Christian McCaffrey is just ridiculous you know ray and i talked about on our show on monday like is there a legitimate case for him to be the rb1 in dynasty right now because it's like there is nobody better than christian mccaffrey age be damned okay you want Bijan robinson go for it like okay he's on this crappy atlanta offense doesn't score points has a terrible quarterback he's great he's leading the nfl in targets and receptions from the running back position but christian mccaffrey is still christian mccaffrey he's still captain america he's still mvp candidate He's still the best running back in football, not even close. It's very difficult to not look Christian McCaffrey and say this guy is like truly a difference maker. And we talk about running backs and why they're not being paid. This is the reason why you trade for and pay Christian McCaffrey because he can handle the workload. He is phenomenal and he is doing everything he can to absolutely carry this Niners offense. And I think Brock Purdy himself doesn't get enough credit for what he does simply because the weapons are so good around him. Christian McCaffrey so good. Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, George Kittle, all phenomenal talents. Um, but this Dallas offense, I think it's going to struggle against the defense. I think that the 49ers can win this game pretty easily at home. Not great for Dallas to have to play this game again in San Fran 
where it's going to be a very difficult environment for them to win. Only a three and a half point spread. So Vegas thinks it will be close, but I'm definitely with you. The Niners should win this game. Probably not easily, but it yeah. may be a little bit easier than we think. This could be the game, Jordan, that Dak Prescott's turnovers come back out again and they haunt the Cowboys <sighs> in this one. Because, you know, you talk about the Niners and how good they are on all three levels of the defense. Oh, this yeah. could be the game where Dak Prescott's mentally struggles and isn't able to get the ball where he needs to, makes mistakes, and creates turnovers for the other team. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, again, I think if they protect the ball, it would be a lot closer. If he's turning it over, the 49ers are winning by 10. Like 10, yeah. 13. They're not going to blow him out because I just don't I don't see that. But, I mean, the last play, man, Zeke Elliott's career, I still see uh, <laughs> still see it I, Zach, I still Zeke's last play of his career in Dallas or it's not his career last play in Dallas yeah. probably one of the worst ever like gonna go down in history as one of the worst plays ever it's up there with that indie punt play thing sneak whatever the hell you want to call it against New England like it was awful it was so yeah. bad but um, what what do you got for me do you got more stuff for me I just saw it. it came across my Twitter and it just automatically played the video or X or whatever <laughs> I'm still saying Twitter forever but John Mechie had a play where he blocked TJ Watt. <sighs> and he actually contained the edge and allowed That's Damian insane. Pierce to get upfield to the second level and get like a 15-yard carry. That makes absolutely no sense. What does John Mechie weigh? Like 175 pounds up against no TJ idea. Watt? No idea, but he blocked well. Bama boys know how to block. All right. That's what we do. There's one thing Nick Saban teaches. It's blocking, but apparently not if you're Jameer Gibbs. If you're Jameer Gibbs, you come out on third down and Craig Reynolds comes into the game because that's just how things go come on. for Jameer Gibbs. I'm not the one saying it, man. This yeah, is Nick Saban. But here's the problem. When you don't recruit and develop these guys throughout their college well, career, that's who you get. This is the worst that's Alabama coaching staff we've ever had in the Nick Saban era. We don't have guys developing. We don't have guys getting better each and every week. It's The schemes are bad. The scheme, like I don't blame these kids one bit. These kids are all very talented. They just chose the wrong time to go to Alabama. I would love to say different, but Nick Saban hired a Notre Dame offensive coordinator yeah. and a Miami Hurricanes defensive coordinator to be the leaders of his offense and defense side of the ball, and it shows. Yeah. No, I'm with you. But, Jordan, thank you as always for coming on the pod. I appreciate you. You can follow him on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it these days, at Jordan Vanek DFS. Jordan, it's always a pleasure to have you on. Is there anything you want to say to the people before you head out of here? Yeah, you can check out the content over at the 33rd I'll be giving my DFS analysis knowledge all over there, as well as in the Discord. And if you ever feel like you want to ask me a DFS question, just tag me. I usually respond with ease. I'm not someone that hides my process. I'm very open about it. Um, but we'll definitely uh, keep in touch, Jordan, because we'll, we'll, we'll hopefully have me win a lot of money this weekend. I win the Millie. And then I've been asked, like, what would you do if you actually won? I think I would just go to the beach. <laughs> and just sit in the sand and just stare and like yeah i don't know what i would do. i don't know what i'll do anymore like just watch i did what i need to do like i'll just sit now i just sit there dude i'll just stare i don't even think i'm watching anything don't even blink <laughs> just hang out there well either way my friend thank you so much for coming on good luck this weekend and until next time have a great dfs season man you're crushing it right now so whether thank it's college you. whether it's nfl make sure you're following jordan because he is killing it so thank you so much for coming on the pod, bro. Appreciate it. San Francisco, where's your disco?